Welcome, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and ghost historian Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, is my co-host, is Victoria Monday. And down in the chat room, well, uh, we're still looking for a, a new chat moderator, but uh, Nicole Guillaume from Guiding Echoes is handling those duties this evening. It's not going to be every week, so I need one of you guys to step up and uh, volunteer there. So, uh, and just to let everybody know a couple things. One, uh, Super Chats have returned. It's been a little over a year, but they are back. So you can uh, make use of the Super Chat option. Uh, the other thing, uh, our, our good friend uh, Tim Schoen passed away earlier today. We're going to address all of that at the end of the show after uh, we, we talk with Mark. But for now, we have a special guest this evening. Mark Fiorentino rejoins us. We had him on the show back in September uh, talking about the uh, unified field theory, uh, super relativity. Uh, talked about his book, Master of Reality, which is absolutely fascinating. We both have copies. <laughs> so, uh, Mark, welcome back to the show. Thank you guys for having me back. Looking forward to having a good discussion tonight. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So I know Victoria has a lot of questions, uh, well, but good. you have some. You have some, some. at least. So, uh, cause you're talking about that a moment ago. But, uh, I'm Mark, Southern, and I, I read slowly. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mark, just to remind uh, everybody, uh, just very briefly, uh, unified field theory and uh, just kind of a brief brief I, I, how can you this be brief this is thick <laughs> but <laughs> just a yeah. quick overview of, of uh you know of your work in in the the topic that we're going to be going into this evening sure uh it all started when i was 10 years old uh, getting acquainted with uh, albert einstein due to a catechism assignment and uh Fell in love with uh, albert einstein and the theory of unified uh, the unified field theory so uh, over the years, I, it got me interested in science in general, uh, into UFOs, and uh, started trying to make a connection to anti-gravity and gravity. So I studied gravity in order to figure out how anti-gravity works. Uh, and that really makes sense. He who understands gravity first will be the first person to understand anti-gravity. Once you know how one works, then you know how the other one works. So, and basically Einstein was really working on a a problem for the last part of his life, the unified field theory problem, which basically is simply stated, electromagnetism and gravity emerge as aspects of a single fundamental field. So much of the book, I establish what that uh, single fundamental field is. And once I reprove the existence of the ether, then we move forward and uh, come up with the whole uh, theory of super relativity. It's an absolutely fascinating topic, and it, it really gets into the inner workings of our universe, which uh, are some of the things I, I really want to get into uh, this evening. And I usually start rolling right off the bat with a bunch of questions, but I want to throw it to Victoria first, <laughs> because usually you know, we get about halfway through the show. It's like, Victoria, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I know you have questions, so I'm going to let you start it off, Victoria. Okay. First of all, um, happy early birthday. I know your birthday's coming up. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. When you celebrate your birthday, do you celebrate Einstein's too? Um. I hardly celebrate mine, but... No, you need to. No. (laughs) (laughs) Always celebrate your birthday. Um, 
Yeah, I, 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 I think of, I think of Einstein a lot. Believe, <laughs> I don't, you know, it's hard to explain of this this fascination I have with him, but I, I do greatly admire him. And yeah, since I know we have the same birthday, of course, the thought yeah. pops up in my mind. Yeah, it was he, he was born, and I remember living in New Jersey, right near where he lived, and actually came into life. Um, just before he left, so we kind of missed uh, just just uh, by a, a few days, really. Aww. But uh, yeah, I definitely think about him a lot. Okay, this is a weird question. I just thought of it um, when you mentioned New Jersey. Did you ever see the old old movie, um, The Day the Earth Stood Still? Ah, I love that movie. Was That's that a Einstein when when the spaceman I forget his name goes into the. Um, to the, was he in a home or I think something? It was Klaatu or something. Klaatu was the the Klaatu not the robot. Klaatu. Yeah, that's the robot. Um, whatever the spaceman's name was, he went into a, a scientist's home or something, and he was like erasing the board. Was that supposed to be Einstein? I oh, Einstein might like. have been. <laughs> I I don't know. It certainly they certainly modeled the the character after him. As it looked like to me, but I I haven't read that anywhere, so I don't yeah. know. I would just be guessing, but probably. Yeah. Okay, well, that just popped in my mind when you said it. Anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, I would say it probably is modeled after him. Have you found your Max Planck yet? <laughs> oh, that's starting <laughs> to get around. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that from have last you, show. Yeah, have yeah. You found um, actually, maybe. Uh, oh, uh, well, you know, I'm trying to meet people, especially physicists, and doing shows like this helps mm -hmm. very much. We're making friends and, and so forth. And I have met a physicist who is willing to review. I'm writing a paper right now. I'm trying to go the route that classical scientists do by writing an actual paper, which oh, is yeah. challenging because I'm <laughs> a physicist, but I have to speak their language. So I'm, you know, there's going to be some math in it. And I've hired a physicist to train me on specifically what the model is I, I i'm i'm getting the i know the model and i know what math i should use so i'm learning how to use that math and, and put all that math into a program mm -hmm. which then is going to test my theory and that will go into the paper with the okay. results so yeah i'm working toward that it, all of this takes effort writing the book oh, is yeah. one thing that's just not an, that's just not going to get it. That's not enough. I can't just write the book and leave it. I'm yeah. going to have to do this part with you guys. And, you know, we're on the adventure together. Uh, oh, that's exciting. Each time we go on a show, this is an adventure. <laughs> and we're going to somehow together hopefully make this happen. So, yeah, almost, almost have somebody lined up. And, you know, I'm looking to do science shows as well and you know get into that mainstream and get them thinking about this theory oh that's great yeah i've been carrying the book or i've been trying to catch up so i've been carrying it at work with me and everyone's like what are you reading i'm like oh you know quantum physics you know i can just yeah. <laughs> so it, like okay. it, it's a little light reading <laughs> yeah you know I, I it's extremely it interesting though yeah oh it is i, I and I, I have a question about the lorenz model of ether. okay that's good <laughs> okay um I, I am no Einstein, but I do remember science in science in second and third grade. And we learned that the ether did exist. Did something change? Because, really? yeah. And I just went that, to, you know, public well, school. 
I'm surprised to hear that because if you go on to a physics website or a physics forum or whatever, and you, you talk about the ether, that they'll actually get angry if you try to tell them that it exists. And because they're certain because of one experiment that failed to detect the ether, which I talk about in the book, I explain why it failed and it didn't really disprove the ether, but a misinterpretation was triggered right. by that. But I'm but surprised it, to hear that somebody said that the ether, because uh, it does. <laughs> this was back in 1970, back then, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so I didn't know maybe the science had changed and they said, well, we're not going to. Wait a second. That what, was that, what was that, Victoria, like 1994? Yes. <laughs> um, time does not exist. Oh, my daughter asked a really good, interesting question today. I'll have to ask you. Um, okay, but you said, and I'm reading my notes now, um, when waves move through the ether or the medium, the particles move, but the ether remains at rest. So my question is, if you were to shoot a particle beam or something through the ether, would the inertia of the particle beam being accelerated, would that stay the same or does that decrease well, like it would here on Earth? Inertia is how is part of the process that creates gravity. In the book, I link inertia gravity and mass as really all coming from the same thing. So when a particle moves within the ether, let's just a particle with mass, let's say a proton, okay. a proton particle beam. So we're going to shoot that through space. What moves is the configuration we call the proton, and it's a field. So the particle itself is an ultra tiny field composed of three quarks that are, are moving in a trefoil pattern. Mm -hmm. Those things generate the mass okay. by their accelerated motion. So the rest mass, the so-called rest mass, not really rest because they're in motion and the whole system works based on accelerated motion. So then when you shoot that, that one particle into space, it's got that rest mass. It's a really an inertial mass that's mm -hmm. being generated. And so now you have two motions. You have the motions of the trefoil pattern that is the proton. Now you're shoving it into space at near the speed of light. So, you know, the whole, the whole thing really flattens out as it gets toward the speed of light. Gets Its mass increases because you're moving in a, a high velocity in a specific uh, direction. So it adds in addition to the mass that it has that's generated by those uh, particles, probably more of an explanation than you want it, but oh, no, uh, it, it gets a little complicated because you've got really two frames of reference of motion that are happening at the same time and they interplay to create the full amount of mass of that particle. So that's a tricky question. So in theory, would the particle just keep going until it ran into something? Would it ever run due out? To, uh, um, due to uh, Newton's laws, yeah, something in motion will stay in motion unless acted upon by an external Apocalypse. force. Yeah. You put that particle beam in motion when you fired it out or whatever accelerator that you used, and it'll stay in motion at near the speed of light until something slows it down. Okay. So the ether is really, it's not solid, solid. I think you called it uh, quasi-elastic. It's it a quasi-elastic. It's, 
it's almost not there, but it has tension. <laughs> it has a lot of properties. So it's like jello. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like very thin jello. It, it's it's really hard to describe something that's invisible. The universe is a black box, so we're what we're talking about is kind of things that are going on in my head or Einstein's head or some physicist envisions. <laughs> you know, you, and you're trying my head. <laughs> what you're trying to do is envision it. Mm-hmm. And that that's good. That's what everybody should be trying to do. And, you know, the English language is not so hot for uh, <laughs> things in this area. And, you know, I could use a lot of big words and it would get even worse. Uh, <laughs> the understanding would go down because then I have to explain every word I'm using. Like so the inertia- elastic solid. Well, oh, well I, I got that. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, it means... <laughs> What it means is, is the ether is an elastic, and it has, it has tensions and stresses within it, little movements mm-hmm. that form a field. So fields of force are bendings of the ether, different types of de- deformations or bending of that space. So particles are are special in that they don't. Uh, what's the word? They they persistent. They don't mm-hmm. unravel. They're inversions right. of space. So it, it's, it, as you can see in the book, it gets a little technical, but I, I have to take the time piece by piece, layer by layer, and explain it. And once you see that and you get it, it makes so much sense. You, can, you, you wind up saying, how did we not know this already? This, all of this makes so much sense. It does. And I really appreciate the parts you underline. <laughs> I, I did back. that deliberately. I, whenever I yeah. underline or bold, <laughs> I want you to really, I want you to read it three times. I so. do. And <laughs> I sit there and I think and I think, and that's why it's taking me forever to read the book, but I'm getting so much out of this. Yeah. And I, <laughs> you know, I did that deliberately. I says, this is important. Whenever I underline and bold something, mm-hmm. that's like um, divine words. Pay attention. <laughs> High importance. So you said one time, or somewhere in the book I read, um, randomness is not random, it's pseudo-random. What did you mean by that? <laughs> well, it's chaos. Chaos. Oh, well. <laughs> things are, um, the universe is the machine, the machine works. See, when I think of the universe, I don't think of it as random uh, things flashing and moving and whatever. I, I, I think of it as a gigantic machine, maybe like a, a ballet going on in my mind. I see particles dancing and spinning and bouncing off each other. There's not, it's all cause and effect. There's no accidents. It's determination. It's, uh, but it's so complex and the sheer raw number of things happening all at the same time all over. It's impossible to calculate that. Uh, for the ordinary people, because there's so many, even the roll of a dice, which you would think is random, is only random because of the way we throw the dice. We do it in a, in a random fashion. We don't always throw it at the same angle. The, the die isn't always up in the same position. If we made a machine to throw roll dice and we loaded it in and the, the one would be always on the top, and would shove it at a specific angle with a specific force, and it was weighted uh, properly and everything, we would be able to predict the number almost every time that, of that roll. And that's because 
uh, you're controlling, non-randomizing the event that causes the roll of the dice. So the universe is the same way. And, uh, you know, I'm going to have a lot of arguments in the future, I'm sure, with quantum mechanics people because they're going to tell you it's all random. So, Well, what if you were, like, loading the dice, like you said, and then there was, like, a piece of dirt or something on the table or a gush of wind? Wouldn't that change? Is that part of the yes. chaos theory? It's all part of the, the process, the machine work. Uh, there are no accidents in this. And, and everything that happens that affects the role as it's that the air currents, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a fluctuation in the gravitational field, somebody walking by, a vibration right. on the table, the surface of the table, all these things play, the angle it hits, if it has any spin, it gets very complicated to calculate that because <laughs> you have to account for all that stuff. Right, if but you, you need did, all those variables. And Newton yeah. said, if, if you did all that, you could predict the future of, of an event like that. Interesting. Okay. So I have another on page 60. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go through them all real quick on page 60. And I'm going to read this to make sure. Go I for it. So good. Um, full knowledge of the universe can only be realized and accomplished by achieving total consciousness. So that makes me think of the 1960s that I read of in history classes, because I wasn't born yet. Um, how people used to say they would um, tune in and turn on, or was it the other way around? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> turn in and tune in, or something. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Once you go in and you understand how everything fits together. Well, what, what how do you, how does a per There's two ways you can do that through meditation. You can get really close. You mm -hmm. can go out of body and, and so forth or whatever, and you die. Mm -hmm. The minute you die, you reconnect to the, the consciousness, the God consciousness. And you'll notice over there, if you talk to mediums or whatever, they speak like we, you know, it's almost like the, in you know, in Star Trek, the Borg, the, the mind, the total. Right. The collective. Kind of the same thing. They're all connected. We're connected too, but when we're in the flesh, we're kind of um, broken off a, a, a bit because we're in, inside our bodies with a limited uh, system and our, our, our souls are throttled down because we're in, the, in this physical body. So we can't you know, fully connect to the other side like a medium or a psychic or, or, or advanced races like aliens uh, have much greater connection to the uh, universe than, than we do. And as we evolve, we will have more and more of a connection. So yeah, you want to try to connect to the source. Mm -hmm. The source has all the answers, all the knowledge. That's and, the way. Yeah, yeah. like um, when I was in college, um, kind of we're saying like when you can't go out, you go in. Um, so you learn to go inside, and you you do that. You connect, and you meditate, and you explore the realms and other theories and out of body travel and all that kind of fun stuff. And, yeah, you've got to quiet the mind. Yeah. So oh, learn awesome. to listen. You, you know, it's a it's a matter of learning to listen, quieting the mind, and then the impressions and the connection will start to form. Mm -hmm. And the better you can do that, the 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 better the uh, connection and the better the information you'll get, whatever you're seeking. You know, oh. uh, what was that famous famous uh, psychic, um, the one that predicted the the 
the Atlantis would rise. Um, oh, I can never think of his name. He's famous. Thomas? No. <laughs> no, no, after him. Um, uh, he has a place in Virginia where they. Oh, Edgar Casey. Edgar oh. Casey, thank you. Okay. Yeah, uh, he used to go to a, into a trance. <laughs> he used to cheat. It was very clever. Aww. He would go. He would actually go to the thing called the Book of Life. If he wanted to learn a future event or something, it's already written in the Book of Life on the other side, and people. Right. Go and read that book when you're there and you've passed away. You can read about the past, the present, the future. It's all in, it's all there already in, engraved in the book. Um, it's a marvelous thing, the universe. We only know just a little bit about it uh, in this physical plane. Even in this galaxy, I'm sure there's millions of other uh, oh, yeah. life forms, uh, many of them advanced, more, much more advanced than us. <laughs> We haven't yet to encounter them because, let's face it, our government is keeping all of that secret from us right now. That's well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, I I think that we have already interacted with them, but they are trying to keep it a secret from us now with these little inklings of disclosure along the way. But yes, um, very excited to hear. Yeah, yeah, today. absolutely, and you know, a yeah. little bit getting released here and a little bit getting released there. They're kind of slowly amping us up to, you know, finally telling us, okay, they exist. Well, most of us know, well, they have been here. Um, and certainly, you know, you, you think about how old the universe is almost what, 14 billion years old. The earth has only been around four and a half billion years. So there's been a lot of time there for other, you know, civilizations to rise up in other galaxies. And, you know, <laughs> long before we even, we're twinkling in the universe's eyes, but um, yeah. So, yeah. so let me ask you, Mark, because I mean, there's a lot of fascinating things here in, in a lot of different directions that we could go with this. And certainly, yeah. uh, you know, other, you know, other life forms, other, uh, other worlds is certainly one. Um, but to get to those locations, um, all these fascinating things that, that you're talking about in here, how do we use what you're talking about here in master of relativity uh or master of reality i'm sorry to to get to those locations are are we talking about you know using this knowledge to you know open up portals or wormholes to to go to these places well i say both i i don't really know much about the portal technology i just speculate about that in one of the last chapters of the book but the way i'm and way I'm sure that the aliens use is they use the slip wave. And what the slip wave does, it's a field. It's a force field. It's, um, it's created by using an intense magnetic field in a gradient form so that you form a pressure wave. But that magnetic field also has an effect on the metric of space, and that means it, it affects the space, the physical space in the area of the spaceship by pulling it apart, stretching it, thinning it out, which then affects permittivity and permeability. And if you lessen, if you make those two properties of space drop, you can go any speed that you want to. So if you want to go 50,000 times the speed of light, you use the slip wave, you surround your ship with this high-intensity magnetic field, 
Inside of the ship, you have a shielding system. Fortunately, magnetic fields can be shielded. So that protects the inhabitants of the ship from the magnetic field, which is incredibly strong. But it does not shield from the anti-gravity field. Gravity and anti-gravity really can't be shielded with any sort of metal or anything of that nature. So that allows the slip field to completely surround and penetrate everything in the ship and out, just slightly outside of the ship. You're inside of a bubble that has an extremely thin space. The, the density of the space in that area becomes very thin, much thinner than normal. The tension of space increases. All of these things will contribute uh, the ability of that ship to be able to go way beyond light speed. And really, you have to do that. Uh, you can't just go light speed. It's not good enough. It'll take 4.2 years to get to Proxima Centauri. That's, that's intolerable. Uh, it, it, who's going to want to sit in space for 4.2 years sitting there waiting to get to Proxima Centauri? Yeah, that, that's a long trip. You have to take a lot of <laughs> snacks there. And let me ask you this, because I, I, don't, I think it's something a lot of people don't think about when we talk about you know, traveling to speed. Because, like, you know, we see, you know, like Star Wars and Star Trek and all that, and they have that technology to do that. But how does... How is the human body affected by that? Can, could the body withstand the force, or do we have to develop something uh, uh, you know, for our bodies to make that kind of trip? Because that's a lot of, I would imagine that's a lot of force on the body. I see, that's, that's a really good question. And, and, you know, I go, I attend the anti-gravity seminars, uh, the American Anti-Gravity Group, and they talk about something called inertial leakage. It's lethal. If there was, if that field wasn't complete around the, that ship, uh, you would have inertial leakage. And at going at just the speed of light, you're dead in an instant. Uh, so that field has to be completely surrounding everything. And so you not only get the benefits of moving fast, but all of the Lorenz transformations are canceled out. So there is not an increase in mass of your ship as you approach and go beyond the speed of light. And you can go beyond the speed of light. So, And there's no inertia. So as you're moving at 50,000 times the speed of light, you're just simply floating in there like you're, you're weightless. So you have no inertial effect. And that's perfect. That's just what's needed. But as I researched the slip wave and its properties and how it worked, I found that it did everything necessary for life forms to be able to travel beyond the speed of light, which is a necessary thing if you're going to survive until the end of the universal cycle, because you'll have to leave your planet sooner or later and colonize somewhere else. That's what all these other guys are doing. I got news for you. <laughs> well, and yeah, at, at so some point we're going to have to, you know, get off the planet and people talk about overpopulation and all that, which, you know, is happening, but at some point, you know, the sun is going to envelop the earth and we're all going to be gone. So right. we want to survive the the species. We do have to go elsewhere. So, yes, it's certainly something we have to develop. So you would so have this, to, oh, I'm sorry, would you have to be in some sort of stasis or you can walk around and move around and 
live your life. Uh, you're, it's like you're in outer space, like Apollo did. You know, what they're they're going maybe 17, 18, 19,000 miles an hour toward the moon. That's mm-hmm. so slow compared to the speed of light. It's not a big deal. But they're floating in there like okay. there's nothing. And they're going at a steady rate of speed, so there's no acceleration. When you don't accelerate, you don't have uh, the inertial problem. Uh, at slower speeds. Oh, you know, if we get in jets, which I consider slow speeds compared to the speed of light, right. um, <laughs> and you make a sharp turn, you're going to feel inertial forces and gravity. If you make it too sharp a turn, you're going to get sick, pass out, or, or worse. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you go, at, if you were to go at the speed of light, and physicists would argue with me about this, but I'm sure that I got this right. If you were to go 99% the speed of light, if you had a magical rocket that could do that, um, you wouldn't be able to move. You would be crushed into the back of your seat, even if you weren't accelerating anymore, because yeah. you're, you're all the atoms in your body it would be interacting with space at this point, and they wouldn't be able, the quarks and everything, be able to move properly. Your clock would slow down to and stop. Um, you'd be crushed. You couldn't even move your hand forward to touch the controls. That extra velocity would take so much energy because your mass increase would be so big that you couldn't function. All of these problems are fixed with the with the um, slip wave spatial bias field. All of the Lorentz transformations and special relativity are nulled out because you change the structure of space, and that's the key. Those those formulas were based on an ether model, and people don't want to admit that, but that's way that's how they were created. <laughs> that's how they were derived using an ether model. Now, how would you use the slip wave um, for like planetary defense? Boy, lots of ways. Drones. <laughs> I'll just throw one out there, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, of course, you could. You you'll have a space force uh, if you want to. You can mount these things the with lasers. Uh, that would be effective sub light battle uh, arrangement. I don't really. I my ideas in the book really didn't deal with like defending battling uh, aliens or whatever, but how to protect against asteroids and meteors and comets. You could build drones. They can go out into outer space, land on the object that's coming at us, and just push it away. You know, you could send thousands of them, and they all land on the surface and then push the thing off course so it doesn't hurt the Earth. That's, of course, one thing that we can do. And then, like you talked about Project Sunshade on mm-hmm. uh, Facebook, um, we can assemble, and I would be willing to bet there's a lot of other, when we get to other plants and we can get close to them and see, a lot of them do this. They build a sunshade because at some point in their evolution, their their sun is going to, they all always burn hotter. And um, it's going to happen to our sun. It's already happening, very small degrees. It's burning hotter. And what you got to do is cut the incoming energy in and so you can modify the the weather keep it cool you know and and so building drones that can assemble this in outer space would be another great use for the slipway because 
getting rockets and putting them up there would cost all the money that we have in the world. And it would be enormously expensive. But something that could just float up and back without having, you know, use rockets uh, is cost effective beyond belief. And so this thing could be assembled, uh, you know, I don't know how many years it would take, but sooner or later, if we want to keep living on this planet, we'll have to build the sunshade. Now with Project Sunshade, oh, it's a hard one to say, Sunshade, um, that's going to keep the earth cooler. Would that also affect like the intensity of the hurricane speaker? Because that's probably not as often. In- too. Well, when I lived in Arizona, that's how we got our rain in the summer was through the monsoon season you know, with those really intense storms. It, you could moderate them so they don't get really intense. Uh, certainly, you would. what you do is put, a, I don't know, maybe one or two million square miles of sunshade over the um, part of the ocean where they call Hurricane Alley. Mm-hmm. And so as they come off Africa into the ocean, you shade that area. You block the sunlight from hitting it. See, hurricanes are driven by heat, by the solar energy. You take that away and they go from being a low pressure to eventually, you know, the pressure rises into a high pressure and they'll just not develop. So they can come across in rain, but you can dampen, you don't have to kill them all the way, but you can dampen them and moderate those hurricanes and save lives and uh, save tremendous amounts of property damage. Without, that, would change, you know, that would change the oceans too, right? If you cool the water so the hurricanes are weaker? Yeah, you'll yeah. cool it's the have water. You want to yeah. cool the water and you want to cool the air. Okay. Uh, but definitely both. Just a few degrees difference will make a heck of a, a difference in hurricane season. Um, you know, we're talking about <laughs> weather control, climate yeah. control. Uh, I think that's what advanced species do. Um, you, it's part of the domestication of our world. Um, we're going to do that eventually. Yeah, yeah I know that. Many years to come. I think that will happen. Yeah, let's just not blow ourselves up in the process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, last, that's what last we've been year. doing so far. I know. I know. We have. You know, we act very primitively, and we don't seem to learn our lesson. With that, this is true. Know? This is true. We we tend to forget from one generation to the next, and everything gets politicized. And I don't even want to get into that. So, oh, God. Yeah. yeah, it becomes a mess. But we have a we have a lot of questions from the chat. I, I want to let you guys know that we have not forgotten about your your questions from down there. We'll get to those in a moment, but. Um, I kind of want to switch gears for a second here and, and ask Mark about um, how all this interacts with um, our idea of time is just a term that we use. Um, in my opinion, time doesn't really exist. It's just kind of a descriptive term for uh, you know how we describe our reality. So how does you know, all of this unified field theory, uh, relatively, relativity, how does all that work with our concepts of time and can we use it for some sort of time travel? Uh, yeah. Uh, and time travel is only possible because of one very important thing. Time. If you go outside of time, if, like if you go into the afterlife, they're outside of time and you can look at it as a whole, you'll find that or what they have found, what I've heard from NDEs and so forth 
is that time is happening all at once. Right. Talking at the super universal level. And um, so since that is true, then you can get, you could do, in theory, time travel, but you have to use the, the portal system or the Stargate to make those jumps. So what you do is you, you tune space using um, their technology, which I described briefly in the book, to actually uh, tune into like a radio to another time or another dimension or another area uh, in, in the universe. And you, you tune space by bombarding it around the frame. There's a signal coming out that's going beyond the speed of light. And when I started to write that chapter, I wasn't sure how I was going to design it. But the one thing I knew for sure is that technology is going to have to accelerate particles beyond the speed of light or it wouldn't work. And I started doing my research to find if that was possible. And believe it or not, it's been done. Oh, fantastic. And, uh, so so and I had special help there and, and using keywords to find that technology. And when I found it, I became very excited because, holy cow, you really can build a Stargate. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so, but then I became concerned because I really don't like going back in time. I don't like messing with things that have already happened. I, I have I have problems with that morally, spiritually, and it's... It can thing. get messy. Yeah, and... Um, but you can do it because all of time is occurring at the same moment. Right. And it's a matter of it's eternal. It's a matter and of so trying to I'm, access those moments. Is do I think the technology designing that would be incredibly fun uh, to have a computer pro simulator that says, if we do this, we input these waveforms at these frequencies, we do all these things, we're going to we'll be able to go back. 50 years, I would love to be able to. Do, do we have to use technology, or can we just use consciousness, or do you think maybe it, it'll end up being some sort of combination of both? I, I believe that you could do it either way, but you have to be an advanced species with really incredibly powerful minds, like some of our alien friends, you know. You think uh, they're, they're already doing they, this? Well, I think one of the, the tips that you'll see there's a green mist seen in some of our earlier experiments, like the Philadelphia experiment. That seems to be a tip-off of people that accidentally or deliberately create time machines or, or interdimensional portal machines. For some reason, there's this uh, refraction of light or something of that nature and a misting of the air that causes like a green fog. I've, I've even read about certain spaceships just appearing and there's this first, there's this gray cloud or mist and then they come into view. So yeah, I, I would bet the more advanced species out there, the ones that are several million years ahead of us do, do it, do travel in that way as well. Okay, probably I have a very common. Right. If, if all time exists right now, the past and the future, I think you called them time segments last time. Right. Okay. You don't want to go to the past time segment, but if you went to the future time segment, wouldn't that be our future futures past? And so we're still messing with it. it well, the future is tricky. It's much trickier than the past. 
in that the past is like something that's kind of solidified. The future is in motion all the time. Each moment as we speak, it's changing. Okay, so, but what if the future has already happened and we're in the past right now, reliving this future, moment? You, you can look at it. Here's where quantum mechanics might come in handy. <laughs> There's okay. a probability function that the further out you go from this present moment into the future, the more tricky and unreliable the prediction would be. But uh, I'm only going, uh, the whole time travel and predicting the future to me has always been very confusing. And, and it, it, it challenges my mind in a way that makes it circular, the thoughts and uh, almost dizzying because I know that we have free will and choice. And so that helps determine, our choices help determine the future every second, everywhere in the world. So a little change here or a piece of information here can change things like that. We won't know it, but it'll change it. So if we go into the future, what you do is you collapse that future wave function and you'll go into one most the strongest possibility and then that will kind of make it the future you know then then you know kind of solidify things but it gets very tricky paradoxical i don't pretend to understand all the nuances of that time travel because i i, I think it's a fairly complex system yeah, is, is this where we start getting the idea of parallel universes you know, as we start making mm -hmm. these decisions, which changes the future? And you know, even Yoda said the future is always in motion. But is is this where we start getting the idea of parallel universes with these different decisions being made? And you know, now now we have a different future. I believe that there are parallel universes, but not in the way quantum mechanics put puts it. Whereas there's a new universe created every time a particle turns left or right. Now. Yeah, I even have a problem with that. Just the idea that every decision that's made creates yeah. a different universe. It's like, okay, I'm I'm about to drop this pencil. I made a decision. Now there's a oh, whole no. new universe but, created. But it so explains, <laughs> it explains the Chris Pine Star Trek movies. I mean, that's the only way you can well, explain. Well, yeah, there's because, that. Because you know, well, uh, there are <laughs> there are definitely an infinite amount of universes. I've I've read many and I've seen many interviews with NDEs. And God, on multiple occasions, explains to him, I've created all the universes, all of them. And there's an infinite number and more being created all the time. Dimensions. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 trying to understand the infinite is very difficult. Yeah. And I stop myself after a while because, you know, you just go into, you're just gazing into the horizon <laughs> trying to see something that's not really seeable. Yeah, you're uh, it, not going out, you're going in. You know? <laughs> it's fun to think about and talk about, and um, I'm sure that we have this Stargate technology. Do you the think United every, States has it. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, do you think every time we open up a Stargate, James Spader appears? <laughs> just, a girl knows. can dream. <laughs> okay, right. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Nicole and I were just watching that movie the other week. Um, and, she, and she says down in the chat, 
uh, with the Chris Pine comment uh, a moment ago. Chris Pine needs no explanation, but uh, <laughs> we have we have a bunch of questions Some here. Some things don't. <laughs> right. We have a bunch of questions here from the chat. I do want to get to these now. Uh, yeah. From Sarah Yusuf, she asks, "What does this theory mean for interdimensional space in terms of other paranormal realms, such as realms of the unseen or astral space?" Well, fortunately. All the, the other dimensions, they're all in parallel with us, sort of, they're not above us or below us. They're coexisting, you know, like in the dimensions going kind of inward and parallel to us. And fortunately, normally, unless you have one of these Stargate things, they don't interfere. They don't interact in any way. If they did, then there would be total chaos. Things would be popping in and out of Wait, space. I thought we needed chaos. <laughs> the Stargate allows you to, in a fairly controlled manner, go to one if you know what you're doing and you have the right technology and you, you know, you've implemented it properly and whatever, allows you to interface or go to one other area and explore it. But all the, the astral stuff and all these other spiritual higher dimensions, um, those aren't really physical. You know, there's dimensions right. here that aren't physical but what we have to understand is our physical one that has you know mass and energy and all these things was created by a non-physical um, being a being of pure consciousness uh, and you know I'm trying to speak in a humble manner because how can we while we're here in this finite and and limited universe, try to describe a being that has infinite knowledge and power and capabilities and, and can create universes like that. And um, it's, it's difficult, but there are dimensions that are purely spiritual, you know, levels that you can go up that really don't involve uh, physical interfaces and stuff. And I'm still seeking knowledge and answers about well, what are these dimensions like heaven where people live in the afterlife? They're not made of any material substance. They seem to be made of pure consciousness. And somehow that becomes more real than here. And they've said that over and over again. So whatever's out there in those other planes is actually more real than this stuff. Because the thing that created this world is at a, from a much higher dimension, which is basically not something that's physical. So it's kind of interesting to think about and try to get your mind wrapped around how something non-physical, and I hate to say the words uh, something from nothing, but it's, it's not really nothing. It's a nothing. It's a something that we don't understand physically. But it is a something, so it's not really... This universe was not created from nothing. It was created from a being uh, that is not physical. But right. it's uh, really pretty hard, heavy stuff. <laughs> it, it gets deep, for sure. And yeah. we definitely appreciate your insight on the show, because I mean, there's, there's a lot here to cover, uh, which is why we brought you back. So uh, another question here. This is from Hell5309. Uh, says, I was taught that the ether was a concept developed to explain how EM waves could propagate through space. Are you trying to say that the ether is space-time? 
space-time, uh, you know, Einstein really went into it. And at the end, let's just say what he said uh, from his famous speech in 1920 at Leiden University, the ether and general relativity. In the last paragraph, he says, recapitulating, we may say that according to the general theory of relativity, space is endowed with physical qualities. In this sense, therefore, there exists an ether. According to general relativity, space without an ether is unthinkable. For in such space, there not only would be no propagation of light, but also no possibility of existence for standards of space and time, measuring rods and clocks, nor therefore any space-time intervals in a physical sense. So he said this on this day. He made that speech to honor his great friend Lorenz, uh, Hendrik uh, Lorenz. And, um, but nobody really listened. He made that speech. Uh, it was a profound, deeply important metaphysical speech. And it just drifted off into the ethers of yeah. history. <laughs> And was it kind of just over their heads? Never really thought about anymore, never really discussed after that. But he's basically saying general relativity proves there is a physical substance out there that's being bent. You can't bend something that's not there. It doesn't exist. It can't be bent. So that whole idea that many physicists have today that space is a vacuum void made of nothing and there's a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them that go that route. It doesn't make sense. Well, that isn't that where dark matter comes into play, that, that kind of explanation for what's in between that we can't quite explain? Dark matter is a very confusing subject, and nobody knows quite what it is <laughs> because it's dark. The yeah. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> there, there, <laughs> there is... Definitely more matter because of the, they detected that the the calculations for the spin of our galaxy indicate there's more matter than we can see. Oh, okay, that's fine. And in my theory, that's very explainable. And so now I'm going to make an announcement that's going to help clear up the dark matter problem. Um, basically, uh, there's loads of neutronium cores which are basically invisible. Uh, and those neutronium cores are what's used to form stars. So I'm saying our sun has a solid neutronium core. And to back that up, there's plenty of evidence out there. Every time we watch a uh, supernova blow or uh, something similar to that, always what's left behind a neutron star or black hole. So, what I'm saying is it's always a neutron star. Black holes are just incredibly dense neutronium material. And where did all that neutronium come from? It came from the Big Bang. Because that big cosmic aid was one humongous piece of solid neutronium that, was, that had had a critical mass that caused it to blow apart again. And... I, I figured all this out because I studied the neutron and there's some odd things, some really odd things about the neutron. And I got suspicious when I saw these things and I said, this is intelligent design. 
There's no reason for the neutron to act like it does unless somebody thought about it and said it needs to wait, work this way. And what I'm talking about, if you take a proton and you put it into outer space, it will stay there for billions of years and not change. But if you take a neutron, one single neutron isolated and you let it sit there in 15 minutes, it turns into a proton and an electron. Well, that's pretty handy because that's hydrogen. And that's exactly what we need to build stars. So the, the fuel that, come, that came about, came about from most logically a humongous neutronium explosion that released enormous amounts of free neutrons. Within 15 minutes, we had humongous amounts of hydrogen available. But not only did that happen, the neutronium, it, it didn't all vaporize into a plasma. Many spheres of neutronium came out from this thing, and those formed the seeds for galaxies and stars and even planets. I suspect that our planet has a small neutronium rapidly spinning core. And so I did research for that. I says, if that's true, there's fusion going on inside of the Earth. And that would explain why we have all the elements right here on Earth. They certainly didn't randomly fall from meteors and just collect. That, that's too hard of a thing to happen. We have all the elements. Something made those elements and it made it right here. And the, the only way that could happen is if we had a fusion reactor inside of the Earth. And so I started searching for neutrinos coming out of the Earth. And I found a Japanese scientist who turned the antennas toward the center of the Earth. And they found neutrinos coming from the center of the Earth, which shouldn't be happening unless there's either a fission reaction or a fusion reaction. So there is some evidence suggesting what I'm saying is true. So the whole universe is really based on a neutron theory, neutronium theory that, that, that everything we have today comes about because of the neutron, the existence of the neutron, which is a very, very well-designed object. Well, that seems to get even deeper when we start, and we, you know, people make the offhand comment sometimes that, you know, we're, we're all stardust, but you know, that kind of like <laughs> really hits the, uh, the, it really hits at home there if uh, everything was originally just one big neutron. Bomb. Yeah, and it's cyclical. What yeah. triggers it again? When it all collapses, you reach a critical right. mass, which they call the Fiori threshold. And it blows all over again. Yeah. So you know, there, there's that idea that this universe, there, what was before the universe? The universe. Different universe. Just a different yeah. universe, right. It's an, it's, it's, it is now an eternal object. Yeah. There may have been a beginning, but if that beginning happened, what was happened was all the positrons and electrons were crushed into neutrons. And why do I say that? Okay, physicists are going to argue again. But inside of the neutron and proton are thirds of electrons and positrons. That's no coincidence. If you smash an electron and a positron, you get quarks. Now, the physicists would argue, oh, no, no that's an excitation. Stop. It's quarks. You just cause the electron and the positron to shatter into the basic components that make up neutrons and protons. So really the universe comes down to being just two things, 
electrons and positrons. So at the very beginning of the first cycle, that's what I say, all that was existing. And from that, God crushed things into the neutron cosmic egg and kaboom, it explodes. And then from there on after, it just happens. Just the whole thing again. again. Yep. Well, it's a perfect design. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> then we are God at. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mark, we are at the end of our show. We just got a you know, minute or two here to to wrap up. Uh, where can everybody find your book, Master of Reality? Well, it's on my re- website, www.super-relativity.com. Uh, there's links on the very first page right at the top. To go to, you can get it and go to Amazon directly and order either the ebook or the regular paperback. Or right now I'm still offering a signed version unless it gets too hectic. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you got one. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I actually have one too. Yes, yep. Yeah, ah. I did the whole time. So it's a very official. I'm thinking ahead here. <laughs> Someday this book is going to be proven correct or what's in this book. And those books are going to, I think, are going to be very, very valuable. See how the spine there is so nice and new. <laughs> read it very gingerly. <laughs> so uh, Nicole's put the link to the website down in the chat. Also, for those watching on uh, YouTube, the uh, link to the website and the book are both down in the description. So you can find that information there as well. And then um, for those listening to the podcast later, it's super-relativity.com. So Mark. Thank you very much for coming back and explaining more of this extremely fascinating information with us. And it's, it seems like we've still just scratched the surface that there's yeah. so much here. Yeah, I, I know. It's, it's fun to talk about all these things because it's a new horizon that we can all share together. We wake up and, and discover anti-gravity. That would be amazing. And one day we will. We I want to apologize that. for the mix-up going in. I didn't have the link, and I didn't know what to do. But That's okay. Um, there was just some miscommunication uh, before the show. But, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. The tell you it's Mercury <laughs> retrograde. Yep. yep. <laughs> so, all right, Mark, you have a great evening. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Mark. Thanks, guys. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. I guess you blew my hollow th- earth theory there, huh? <laughs> ah, yeah. See, if if we actually have, you know, pretty much you were saying like there's a star inside of our, uh, the earth's core. That would kind of. There's a star in all of us. There you go. <laughs> well, it's, we're all made of stardust, which yeah. is extremely true. Mm-hmm. So, all right. That's Mark Fiorentino. We appreciate him coming back. He was on back in September. So if you missed that, go back and watch it. It's kind of like the primer for this episode. <laughs> Hey, seriously, because he got to just like straight up unified field theory uh, for for that episode, which is really kind of a preview for all the different details we got into this for this one. So it's Mark Volume One. Mark Volume One. <laughs> this was Mark Volume Two. Yeah. Yeah. I still have more questions I didn't get to, but that's okay. Well, we'll just have, to have them back. Yeah. We're Facebook friends. I'll ask. <laughs> there you go. All right. All right. So now we have to get into the. Uh, into the sad stuff. Um, I found out I had that show with uh, Sam Baltrusis and Joni Mahan uh, earlier this evening. I was messaged during the show and I didn't see it until a while afterward. Um, probably about, like about a half hour before 
Victoria and I connected for this, that uh, our good friend and supporter, um, everybody's friend, uh, Tim Schoen, had uh, had passed away. Uh, he'd been battling, a, you know, really a couple different illnesses here. Um, he basically had double pneumonia, um, some other different things going on. And then uh, three days ago, he was diagnosed with COVID. And it's just, you know, that many things compounding. Uh, it's just, you know. Too much. It's too much. Yeah. yeah. So I am, you've seen me drinking throughout. I am drinking Haunted Road Roast in Tim's honor. Haunted Road Roast helps your ghosts. And I always, <laughs> I always did that for Tim. I always did that for Tim. So he was, um, he, you know, he was an amazing guy. You know, he just, he had a heart of gold and, um, you know, anything and everything to do with the paranormal. Uh, he, he was extremely interested in, uh, he shared out everybody's stuff. He bought everybody's book, even though the, the, he, he did not have a lot of money, but he would go out and he would buy everybody's book. Um, he was extremely supportive of everybody. Um, he'd share everybody's stuff out. Um, you jump on everybody's thread and, and talk about everything to do with the paranormal. Um, yeah, he just, you know, he had a huge, huge heart. And so um, it's just heartbreaking to hear him pass because he was, he was a young guy, you know. It's, it's just tragic to hear. He would always send me a bad dad jokes. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, God, Tim, now what? <laughs> just the worst jokes. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was, well. Was Tim for you, and then whenever he'd make it out to an event, which he could only get to a, a, a you know a couple. I know some people were trying to get him out there out east earlier this year, um, and all that fell through. But that was just great how the community was coming together to you know kind of rally behind you know somebody that always supported them. It's like well, let's get Tim out to one of these events, and so um, yeah, the guys are setting that up. That was awesome, awesome of you guys to do that. Um, and I know it, it, everything fell through. You know, it's kind of the world today. But, um, yeah, he will sorely be missed because uh, he was just, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it was Tim. It's been a tough year for, for those in the paranormal. I've, I've seen some, you know, postings lately of other people that have passed here and some that I didn't know of. But, like, Roland Gerodius last summer we lost. Um, you know, uh, Mike Stevenson here a couple months ago, for those of you that knew him and now – uh, Tim shown these, you know, the, the guys that, um, you know, I was fairly close to over the years. Um, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking.